Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. My world happens to be in downtown Memphis this morning, so we are coming to you live from Memphis. It is Wednesday, November 2nd. That means it's time for another episode of Destination Health. Joining me this morning, my co-host Lauren Hickson and a very special guest that I am so excited about today that I'm not going to waste another minute. I'm just going to say good morning to Lauren. Lauren, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Boy, oh boy, is my head about to explode right now. <laughs> I know, mine too. I'm I have excited. got, yeah. Uh, so we're just going to, we're going to bring in our guest this morning. I want to welcome back to the show. It's been a while, too long. Uh, Sally K. Norton. Sally, welcome back. Oh, thank you. It has been too long. How is Memphis and how's Kevin? Uh, I am I am uh, bouncing off the walls with excitement right now, and I've got about a million questions for you. So before we even get started, I just <laughs> want to see if I can get you to commit to maybe part two, because I know I'm not going to be able to get to it today. Oh, yeah, baby. We probably need at least a part two. And, I'm here and for you. Beautiful. So one of the things we're excited about are we have developed our own app now for our listeners. So it makes it so much easier for us to organize our shows. And rather than just kind of touch on topics, we've been doing more deep dives and we're creating what we call mini series. And this would oh. make just a fantastic mini series. And, and if you'd commit to that, I would absolutely love it. Oh, my. I would just have a grand time with you on that. So, a couple things to get out of the way. You and I met several years ago at Mindshare. Did you happen to go to Mindshare this year? I know it just happened recently. I did not. I didn't either. So, we can skip that then. Good. Um, (laughs) The other thing I just have to say, um, I stopped counting a long time ago. When I first started into the health thing, when... You know, we do almost everything in trucking. Health wasn't my thing. We picked up health because truck drivers are so unhealthy. It's such a unique population. And because I've spent my whole life in that that world, I understand it. I understand the lifestyle. So before I would talk about health, I committed to reading um, the top 100 new books on health. I didn't want to go through any of the old nutritional advice. I wanted to stick to all the new things. Gave myself a year to do it and did it in, I don't remember, like eight months. Uh, and then just kept going. But at some point I lost count. I, I, I would have to believe I've, I've blown past 200 by now. And I will say, I have a pre-release. I do want to talk about your book itself and when it's coming out and how people can get it or pre-order it. Uh, we'll get to that. But what I, I'm, I'm traveling and speaking for trucking this week. That's why I'm in Memphis and I'm on my way up to Nashville today. Um, so I didn't have time to read the book from start to finish yet. So I skipped into, you know, some of the new stuff I saw and that's all it took for me to create about uh, 20 pages of notes and questions. That's why I know we're not going to even come close to this yet. I I can say already, this book will easily make my top five and, and probably top three. And, and it's, it seems to be focused on such a narrow topic, oxalates, but what, 
wide-ranging implications. Well put. So I I was trying to figure out from all these notes today, I, I, you know, normally I would ask you if you have three hours today, we'll stay, but I don't have three hours today. So um, I'm trying, I was trying to figure (laughs) out where I wanted to start on this. And I think I'm just going to be a little selfish and I'm going to talk about myself and my own journey because this book, it, it just skimming it. I think has solved a couple of mysteries that I've been trying to figure out and I've asked every other practitioner I bring on the show and talk to and um, we, we just couldn't solve them. I mean, a, a quick, easy one I'll throw out. No matter how healthy I seem to eat, I mean, the, the quality of the animal products I eat are just as good as I can get. I, I won't eat in restaurants hardly ever anymore. The, I order all my meat in, um, really control that well. And when it comes to plant foods, which I still love, but I've tried to eliminate a lot out of my diet, um, gardening has become my greatest hobby. And this issue of um, minerals, I still take a daily mineral supplement. And I'm thinking I have some of the best soil on the planet because I've spent three years really studying and and working on soil quality. And I'm eating these really high quality animal products that should have high mineral content. And why, if I stop taking this daily mineral supplement within about two or three days, I start getting muscle cramping. And I know that's a mineral issue. And I I, want to throw this out there at you because I only got a, a little bit of a chance. The idea of oxalates themselves causing mineral deficiencies in our body. Yes, and that is very serious to our health. Each cell requires lots of control and uh, access to calcium, magnesium, you name it. There's lots of minerals out there and all of them are in danger and you can become quite seriously mineral deficient when you're eating foods that have a lot of this oxalic acid slash oxalate in them and we're so unaware, we, we're not paying attention. So unaware that after reading 200 books, I still couldn't figure it out. Yes, that, I mean, I, hey, I've been in this field my whole career and I'm not a young thing on <laughs> my way to being 59. And, uh, you know, I didn't know this. I studied at Cornell University. I went on, I stayed in public health. I stayed in holistic healing, you know, and I'm just like, you're a man of my heart, caring about the quality of your meat and making meat a centerpiece in your diet, gardening. I mean, you you could move in with me and you'd be perfectly happy. (laughs) But I didn't know. I didn't know this either. And I got myself into big trouble by doing exactly the best advice out there. The best advice I got from professors at Cornell and the best advice in the world of integrative and complementary medicine, and the best advice in mainstream nutrition, you know, the whole, like, I've seen every angle on nutrition and public health, and I never understood this, and really nobody's understanding it. And so this is bringing this forward in this way to explain all these big implications when you mess up the fundamental function of cells through mineral deficiency and toxicity is huge. (laughs) 
It's, it, it's like your heart rate goes up just thinking about it. <laughs> you know, I, almost every practitioner I've talked with, worked with, and I mean, people who are, you know, right on board with almost everything else we talk about, and I'll bring up this mineral deficiency issue. It's one of the first things that shows up when we move somebody to a even a good, clean keto diet, something we use a lot with truck drivers because it works really well for them and they like it. And But then we've really started moving towards carnivore as our first recommendation because it's easy. It's easy to explain. Um, it's when you talk about truck drivers and you tell them, hey, look, you can eat all the meat you want and the eggs and, and some dairy if it if it works for you. They love that. There's there's almost no pushback from them on that. So with doing that, we would see this mineral issue show up all of a sudden, muscle cramping. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, they were eating the standard American diet and we didn't see this. Why are we creating how are we creating this problem? And nobody's been able to answer that for me. And, and you did. And, and when I was able to read it, it made total sense. I get it now. One more issue that I, I... So if we go back eight years, one of the things that I, I realized again today is every improvement I've made in my health comes from eliminating food. It never really has come mm. from adding any foods. You know, when I eliminate one group, of course, you're going to eat more of another. So as I eliminate grains, we added more meat and fat into the diet. As I started realizing um, plant foods are not the end-all, be-all that everybody would like us to think. So the more plant foods I eliminate, the more meat and eggs and animal products I go to. And, and I love that. But... I'm back at, I almost feel like I'm back at square one again. And I I would love to take your book right now and take my coach down to the river for three days by myself and just dig into this thing and kind of reformulate a lot of my recommendations around food and even supplementation. Now I'm realizing, you know, some of the supplements, we have to go back and rethink these and maybe find other ways or better ways to supplement what we know we need without causing this this oxalate issue again. And after eight years of improving virtually every area of my health, um, I, I'm 59 going on 60 in May, and I can say that in many ways I feel better than I did in my 20s. In my 20s, I had I was diagnosed with RA. Um, I had horrible digestive mm -hmm. issues. I had had those my whole life. All those are gone. I, even at 59, I'm building muscle easier than I did in my 20s, which just seems incredible to me. I mean, science would tell you, oh, no way, that's not going to happen. But it is. But the one thing <laughs> that I have destroyed in my health, and it's it's been my big project for a while now, and we just had a big breakthrough a couple weeks ago that I, I want to talk to you about, I've destroyed my sleep. And I, I'm, I'm like shocked. How could I do that? How could I become so healthy in all of these other areas and still have these problems with sleep? And I've done so much research into it. I could write the book mm -hmm. on sleep and I could probably help a lot of people because one of the things about sleep, there's no one size fits all. You have to figure out what each person's sleep problem is 
and then fix that problem, that root cause. And I, I've been through that with myself. I've been through every root cause you could find on sleep that I could find at the time. I've been through everything on sleep hygiene. I've, I've done everything you could possibly do and nothing was moving the needle on sleep for me. Um, I finally looked at an area that I hadn't looked at before, um, which was herbs and adaptogens. And I um, found a practitioner who just wrote a great book on adaptogens, um, primarily mushroom-based adaptogens. And she changed two things for me. One of them now makes sense. And I, I pushed back when she made one of these recommendations. She recommended a very specific magnesium supplement. And I said, look, I, I can't be deficient on magnesium. You know, I, uh, all of my food is grown in the garden. I'm taking a mineral supplement, sometimes two. And she said, just trust me on this. Just try it. And I'm willing to try anything. So we changed that magnesium supplement. And she added the mushroom adaptogens, primarily reishi. Unfortunately, and I can take reishi in all kinds of forms. So I'm going to go back and change it because the form I chose um, was a cacao-based because yeah, I just, I love chocolate. So I know that's not good. I'm going to have to go back and relook at that. But the, the reishi and the magnesium and just a couple other things I was doing finally moved the needle in three weeks. I doubled my average sleep score and added about two hours a night of good quality sleep. Now this week with traveling and everything going on, I've destroyed it again. But now I know I, I finally found something in there. And I have a theory that I want to mm -hmm. run by you on why I've struggled with this so much. Unfortunately, a lot of these high oxalate foods are foods I absolutely love. And then there was a whole mm. bunch that I just really wasn't thinking about at all, primarily almond products. When we go grain-free, mm. we lean so heavy on all these almond flour products. And I had no idea how high those were in, in oxalates. But what I've done is I keep kind of revisiting the oxalate thing and saying, you know, I really have to pay attention to this and then I'll lower it. And then I'll get lazy and I'll forget and it, it climbs again. It, could my sleep problem be part of this whole clearing of oxalates as I keep going back and well, forth on uh, the clearing issue? Yeah, so <laughs> we could do the whole show talking about sleep and oxalates. So I, the thing that got me to discover that oxalates were ruining my health and had been ruining my health since probably childhood was a severe sleep problem. My brain, according to the high-tech sleep study where they hook you up with all those wires and everything, they found my brain was waking up 29 times every single hour. That sounds about which me. Which is why I, yeah. I was completely disabled. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't work anymore. I could not, I wouldn't have been legal to drive a truck. Forget it. I could re couldn't read the mail. I, I had to quit my faculty job you know, writing research grants and doing this work. And I thought it was because I needed a hysterectomy and because I was fatigued and I, and I had all this back pain. And um, after the, the surgery, I couldn't get better. I was worse. And the doctor sent me the sleep study and I was like, wow, well, oh, now I've got to figure out. And so I studied the sleep literature and immediately, very quickly in a day, you can see clearly that 
Medicine says that a sleep disorder is a brain toxicity problem. And they think that since right now the favorite thing to think about is the microbiome, they think it's dysbiosis in the gut. We've well, got the too many bacteria overgrowth, like a SIBO condition where the, you've got too much stuff fermenting in your gut and moving up into the small intestines going up, up, up. The bacteria concentrations would be down low in the colon, not climbing up through your up through your digestive tract, but that's becoming a common problem. And I had really severe bloating and belching, especially at bedtime. So bad, it looked like I had this overgrowth problem. So I had a, a the national expert test me and he said, no, you don't really have it. But I didn't believe him. I'm like, I got all the symptoms. <laughs> so we, like, right. we're committed to this idea. I'm desperate. So I made my local doctor prescribe med anyway. And of course, it didn't work. And so I was like, all right, my problem is constipation. I've got to fix that. That gut health thing. I had already tried everything. So the last thing I hadn't tried is the kiwi fix. Now, kiwi is a very high oxalate fruit. The, the kiwi fruit has a lot of these oxalate crystals that are shaped like little arrows. They actually look like toothpicks under the microscope, and they make them in these quiverful, these bundles of like 200, 300, 400, in a certain vacuole in the cells of the kiwi that are sitting around the seeds. This is like a bunch of soldiers really well-armed to protect the seeds, protecting the next generation and the kiwi fruit. Well, this is why kiwi can help some people with constipation because you're basically putting uh, very abrasive little glass shreds Yikes. in your gut with the kiwi. <laughs> and the body's like, whoa, we got to get this out of here. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then, you know, so by adding kiwi to my diet every day, it was the summer of 2013. I remember exactly because I took my medication with me for the SIBO and took my kiwis with me to a conference in Atlanta a health conference called the Ancestral Health Society Conference. And, and I, from that point on, I found that over the next several months, my body got stiffer and stiffer and eventually arthritis came back. And I had terrible, like you with RA in your 20s, I had terrible RA and inflammation and such weakness in my joints that would come and go with these, you know, kind of gouty-like attacks. Yes. And it was coming back. And I'm like, how could this be coming back? And But I knew I was eating oxalate when I was eating the kiwi. And I thought, well, oxalates don't bother me. <laughs> and it brought back the old arthritis that I had when I was a vegetarian. So I'm like, um, and I've got to fix my sleep. I've got this constipation issue. Now I have to get rid of the oxalates for arthritis. And I, I have a long list of problems at this point in life, really long. And I was really upset that I had to do this plus wheat-free, plus free this, free this, free this, and this oxalate thing. I was not into it, but I did it because arthritis sucks. Yes. And I was just feeling terrible, and it was starting to interfere with sleep again. Well, I knew I wasn't sleeping, but now it was clear. Like, I didn't even know my sleep was so bad because I was so tired. I was just in a fog all night long. I thought I was sleeping. But with the kiwi, it became obvious that going to sleep was difficult because I'm in so much pain now in the evenings. So I do this oxalate thing for real this time because I had dabbled in it in the past. You know, we're all skeptical. Right, right. <laughs> and lo and behold, by the end of the week, I could read the mail. And I was like, what? Wait, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then all kinds of other problems fixed for me. And, and it turns out that oxalate is very neurotoxic. And basically, it's directly causing an acute way at the end of the day of eating. Like I would eat sweet potatoes and 
all this kind of stuff that has high oxalates, and your listeners probably have no freaking idea what we're talking about. <laughs> you've never heard of oxalates, and nobody knows which foods are high in oxalate. But I had finally learned that a little better, you know, because in college they just mention it in tiny little one-inch passages in your textbook. Yeah, and it's just a couple foods, and it's like, oh, it's just for kidney stone patients because you right. know the major ingredient. Right of a kidney stone is oxalate, but we call it calcium because calcium, the oxalate grabs calcium, steals that from your cells and your bones and your blood and can cause arrhythmias and problems because calcium is a requirement in the blood in order for your pacemaker that runs your heart to work properly. <laughs> so that's a problem where, you know, you've got this acute effect of eating oxalates right away that can affect your mineral nutrition. But in the long run, you become so mineral deficient that your cells can't recover when there's these disturbances. Normally, the body will start drilling holes in your bones to make up for that lost minerals from eating the kiwi and almonds and chocolate and potato chips and fries and mashed potatoes. Those are like key ones that everybody tends to grow up on. It's like peanut butter. And in, in our generation, whole wheat bread was big. That's a brand of time oxalate. And you've got your your Halloween candy and your Christmas candy and your chocolate covered nuts everywhere. And every single treat and energy bar is loaded with almonds and peanuts and other nuts. These are very high oxalate foods. These are all modern inventions. They're not a classic human food. And it's causing more and more of us to be eating way beyond the body's ability to deal with all this poison. And what happens is you start stealing the calcium from your bones and body. Not only do you get osteopenia and an osteoporosis and injury prone and stiff tendons and bone spurs and connective tissue disorders, you have chronic uh, nerve toxicity. And for some people, it becomes a sleep disorder. And that's really common. And for other people, it becomes chronic anxiety or low-grade depression or panic attacks, all kinds of brain dysfunction problems, including migraine headaches. The other cells that are very sensitive, I mean, all the body cells are sensitive to the effects of this poison, which causes oxidative stress and membrane damage and this mineral stealing. But your immune cells, right after you eat that almond whatever, you know, the fake almond muffin and bread and so on, right? <laughs> that is immediately damaging your immune cells right away. Within less than an hour, you've now got wounded immune cells running around in your bloodstream. But... If you've been eating almonds and peanut butter and potato products your whole life, you've probably also got calcium oxalate crystals, very much like those kidney stones, building up in your bones and bone marrow and your thyroid gland and your brain and your face and your teeth. Now, bone marrow, that's where your blood cells are born. Yeah. And they can be born a little wrong when they're born in the context of poisoned bones. And this all sounds so extreme, you know, because it's so off the radar and so new. People are like, that can't be true. Right. <laughs> but it is. Right. That's why it ruined my health. That's why you weren't feeling good when you were doing the right thing and eating vegetables and why you start feeling better when you get off the vegetables. The problem is, is that these crystals hanging out in your bone marrow and your thyroid gland want to get out. Like the body doesn't want all this particulate pollution. You literally have little super fun sites buried in your tissues. And when you go full carnivore and you quit eating all the plant foods that have the oxalic acid and oxalate crystals in it, you are giving the body permission to finally start cleaning up the garbage. 
And then you get huge mineral fluxes when you release oxalic acid back into the bloodstream from your history of eating peanut butter and almonds and chocolate. That old stuff, and you're just as oxalate poisoned now on carnivore as you were when you were eating this stuff. It's just now moving out in reverse. So your, your bloodstream is now a roadway and a railroad with uncovered dump trucks full of oxalates spilling out into your body once again, making the mineral loss severe yet again. You know, we, we actually refer to that as, as a healing reaction, and we've talked about it with many other issues. You know, you're, you're going to get worse before you get better a lot of times. We try to warn people, and, and this is a new one. I didn't understand this one at all until this book. Um, in my mind right now, I'm kind of going through how I want this mini-series to flow, and today I think we're, we're going to be bouncing all over the place. Um, I, I just think there's so much I want to get to. Part one, what I'd really like to kind of plan on when we bring you back for part one is to start with all the damage. You know, I kind of skipped over that because I, I've, I've learned that from you in the past. So I, I didn't really want to dive too deep into that right away. But I think that would be a great place to kind of start. We, we may even call this the this episode the prequel. And then we'll start with part one, and we, and <laughs> and actually, I'll, I'll uh, you and I will talk some, and and I'd like to get your Im- input on how it wants to flow. I love the flow in the book, so I, I kind of want to follow that. But today we'll call it the prequel because I just have so many questions. I'm going to be bouncing all over the place. One more mystery, maybe you could help me with. Um, we, d- we still do a lot of one-on-one work. Um, Lauren's with us today. She does all of our discovery calls and one-on-ones, so she deals with a lot of these issues. But I was working with somebody recently. I don't remember if it was on the air or if, uh, if I was communicating with them on our website. But they had, um, they had some high kidney numbers. And normally that's really pretty easy mm-hmm. to figure out. You know, we, we don't have a problem with that. I can usually figure out why their diet has caused it. Turns out this particular person had been eating a very carnivore-heavy diet for quite a while, did pay attention to food quality and all of those things, and I went through all the things I could think of. You know, and his doctor's telling him it's all protein-related, and, and you, you got to cut out the protein, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, don't listen to him. If, you know, when you're in stage three kidney failure, <laughs> protein may cause a problem. I, I won't dispute that, but we don't ever think you should get to that point. And it's not protein that gets you there. So I actually, exactly. I, I was stumped. I was like, where are these numbers coming from? And in the, could that just be oxalates causing those problems? Absolutely. Okay. Oxalate is the main kidney toxin that causes not just stones, but chronic kidney disease and all forms of kidney dysfunction. It is the main cause It's because the poor kidneys, they're the major route of oxalate oh, no. getting back out of the body. They have to do the bulk of the work. They have to concentrate this toxic waste and we're eating it all the time. And now you're releasing it on carnivore. You can be more toxic with oxalate than you were when you were eating this stuff because the body is so eager that- to get rid of it. And so we advise people like maybe just add back in a really strong pint of tea. You know, if you're making your own, do double tea bags, use decaf to not mess up your sleep. And then you can use triple tea bags if you want, because it's a little less oxalate and decaf. So, you know, we can add back in some oxalate and tell the body to stop digging it up out of your thyroid gland and your tissues and slow down this 
this rush to like poison the poor kidneys. Interesting. <laughs> we need to include a little oxalate on a carnivore diet to protect from this kidney damage and other inflammation damage. Okay, you've heard of like asbestosis where somebody's breathing in particulates yeah. of asbestos and ruining their lungs. What kills you or makes you need lung transplant with asbestosis is that the immune cells are going after this pollution to try to fix the tissues. And that chronic inflammation is what takes you out. And that's what happens with oxalate. It sets up only what we call in situ where it forms, it grabs the calcium somewhere from your cells or your blood and then sticks to areas in your body where you've got wear and tear, old cells dying off and those those kind of cells that are either breaking or broken because you injured yourself or they're old just because cells get old, they can't defend themselves from this oxalate and the oxalate sticks on their little vacuole bits and their little membrane bits and they can't do anything about it because they're dead or dying or inflamed or infected. And you start collecting this oxalate in these tissues where you're most vulnerable to problems. And now later, the body wants to heal those areas and the poor kidneys are getting slammed. So I want to can I make sure I'm hearing this right? So if I really work hard to look at my entire diet, um, I can easily look at some of those foods that I didn't realize were high and get rid of those wouldn't, I wouldn't bother me a bit, but I could still kind of focus on maybe a couple of foods and not have to, like, Maybe I could still have a little dark chocolate if I can, you know, really get the total oxalate exactly. count down. Excellent. Oh, now I'm even happier. I was ready to yeah. give it all up if I had to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you don't have to. But some people are really sick with this and they start getting, oh, while you're releasing oxalate from your, let's say your femur bones and your humerus bones and your arms are loaded with oxalate. If your body's releasing that stuff, your blood level of oxalate's really high, and it doesn't take very much additional oxalate to kind of push the body to a place where it's like, oh, wait, wait, I already had this like at the level I could tolerate, and now you're adding a little more at the wrong moment. Wait. And that can really be a problem for some people. And there's other reasons too, because with this particulate pollution in your body, your immune system is in an uproar all over the place. And in this process of getting it out, keeps the immune system overactivated and you can start having more reactions to food. So I usually steer people away from using herbs because herbs are meant to be a medicine that are used in a one to two week period and not used day in and day out to rescue your sleep. And you're going to end up with an allergy to them potentially if you've got this immune activation going on. So yeah, keep a square or two, a really, you know, gourmet kind of dose of oxalate through a nice little chocolate piece, but don't think, oh, well, I eat no oxalate, so I can eat the whole bar. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's still right, about right. amount. Yeah, and that's what I love about your book. It, I can already see that there's such good data that's going to help me do that. Uh, but I'm excited about the idea that actually leaving some in could have a benefit. Um, I, I have so much. Lauren, I want to give you a chance to jump in here. So um, it, what yeah, question? Sally, I have a yeah. question about, um, so if you are detoxing these oxalates and you're saying that they're coming out of wherever they're lodged, like you say that they're in your bones and now they're, they're all in your bloodstream, how does that typically manifest? Or is it just one of those things? There's so many symptoms that it can manifest in any way. Or would you, would you notice, oh, that's from me detoxing oxalates? 
Excellent question. And I think you kind of know the answer and that, that each person is highly individual in the way that sensitivity shows up and the way those symptoms show up. For a lot of us, you see neurological symptoms when the blood level is high. You see clumsiness. So if you're dropping stuff today or bumping into stuff, that's mm-hmm. neurotoxicity and that could be that you're clearing oxalate. Now, oxalate, you, the way we sort of what I call triangulate, so you've got these symptoms where you're in a bad mood and you're grumpy and you bumped into something and then you drop something. Now you're really mad at yourself and then you're like peeing all the time. Well, you woke up in the middle of the night and you needed to pee. This is a pattern that says, okay, so what are the other evidence that I might be high in oxalate and, and quote what we call dumping when it's really so bad that you get symptoms? The clearing, you know, the clearing and tissue repair is going to happen regardless. But when it's happening at a level where it's really distressing your system, you'll get those kinds of symptoms and you may have cloudy urine the day mm. before or the day after or something because that's when you've got a lot of crystals leaving the, the uh, kidneys. Those are, that's happening in people with healthy enough kidneys that the little passageways that make and collect urine can dilate and actually release the crystals as they start forming because it gets to be so much. They start what we call precipitating out in the, in the fluid of the urine. So cloudy mm-hmm. urine is a, is a, if you have good kidneys, you're going to see a cloud of urine often when you see like arrhythmias or heart, heart symptoms or mood changes, aches and pains, gout. These are all going to be signs of the oxalate clearing. So that's one area is the urine will tell you. And often you'll see, um, a little bit of incontinence for some people or frequent urination, nighttime urination, that kind of thing, because the whole bladder is also being irritated by this. You can get interstitial cystitis kind of symptoms too, which is really unpleasant because that adds pain. It, basically, the crystals in the bladder start irritating the bladder lining and you get pain like it's a mm. rash in the, in the bladder. Now, another area that crystals will come out is through the colon because when the system's stressed and those poor kidneys are overwhelmed and you're getting a little acidic from the stress of the inflammation that it's causing, the, mm-hmm. kid, the colon will try to excrete it. And some people will see crystals, like literally gritty stools occasionally, and you'll feel it or you'll see it or you'll have like hemorrhoid symptoms or some kind of burning anus or rectum symptoms. That's another sign tartar on the teeth because when your blood levels are up your your the tartar or the saliva always has oxalate in it when there's oxalate in the bloodstream at a rate of 10 to 30 times higher than wow. what's in the blood so the saliva glands concentrate this stuff yeah and you've got blood flow flowing into your teeth and you've got you know there's a lot of ways that oxalate are affecting the dentition especially because you're eating this stuff. I have one client, that's a whole other story. I'll try to stay on this track <laughs> about the saliva. because <laughs> The saliva is, you could get, you could get salivary stones eventually from too much oxalate in the body and starting to get stuck in the ducts of the saliva glands and end up being stones there. But what you might see, look behind the incisors, behind your tongue and the bottom of your mouth in the morning. And if there's a lot of white grit or stuff sticking around there near the gum line, that could be that you were clearing oxalate last night and it, and that shows up in the saliva. And because you're not swallowing as much at night, it tends to sit there on the teeth and form this tartar. Uh, another place is eye stuff. If you get a lot of weird fluids coming out of the eyes or dry eyes or you get that morning um, eye crud, it could even glue your eyes together or show up as like a little bit of grit on your, on your cheekbones. The eyes also kind of squeeze oxalate out because that's like the surface of the brain and the nervous system. Plus, eyes 
or collect oxalate just like the thyroid gland and the bones do. They tend to be really vulnerable. So there's ways to say, okay, I'm having these symptoms. You know, my mood is off, my, my sleep is off, my pain level's up, and I see one of these signs of oxalate leaking out of the body, and then you know for sure that there's a connection between the symptoms and the oxalate. Wow, light bulb moment for me, for sure. <laughs> you see cloudy urine? I do, yes. <laughs> yep. and I've I had that since milk. I was a kid. Mm. I, I didn't almond know milk. what it was because there's not really any information out there on that. And I do Nobody drink knows. almond milk every day. <laughs> You're innocent. You're innocent. But <laughs> this is really interesting because almond milk, commercial almond milk is only what? Eight almonds and a jug of almond milk. It doesn't seem like yeah. that much. But when you dilute it down, you bring out the soluble form, which is the form that's easily absorbed, and you have it in this fluid. And when it's really diluted in a fluid, it makes it very easy for it to get right into the bloodstream. So you're, the rate of it moving into your bloodstream is much higher in almond milk than it would be in a muffin where a lot of it's not being properly digested. But the almond milk is just slick willy right to your bloodstream and you know when you absorb it from your blood it goes straight to your liver and you can stress out your liver and start getting chemical sensitivity and use up your glutathione and make it harder for you to tolerate other toxins and you know trucking is pretty toxic you know a lot of exhaust and oils and you know solvents and just the last thing you need is a liver that can't handle that stuff and that oxalate will do that to you and then it moves straight from your liver up to your heart it's only like two inches to go from the liver to the heart. <laughs> and then it goes over the lungs to get, to get air, right? You're going to put oxygen in the blood and it goes back to the heart. So after you've eaten your almond milk and your almond whatever and your chocolate, this and that, you've already hurt the digestive tract, your liver, your heart, and your lungs way before the kidneys get a chance to take it back out of your body again. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So... Sally, I, I, I think I have an example where a, a little bit of information can be dangerous. Um, I feel like, you know, in the last eight years, I've become so much more in tune to my body again, you know, that I, that I can trust some of the signals or the cravings or I, I'm really paying attention. And I think one of the mistakes I've really made around this, because, you know, I started looking at this right after I first met you. And since then, I've had several of these mystery, you know, issues. You've just helped me with a couple of them. But what I was doing, to me, the first symptom I see when this is a problem is joint pain. And, I, and, you know, my RA markers mm-hmm. will come back. It feels like gout. So I've kind of used that as my gauge. When I feel that, then I start paying attention to it again. And I'll, I'll you know, eat lower oxalate foods and, and the pain goes away. And I, I've been using that as the guide. And, and I think that's a real mistake. I, I think it is a guide. And when I get to that point, I, I, I really do have a problem. But I think that all the time, I've probably got low levels of problems caused by this that, I, that I'm not feeling. Right. Or that I'm not recognizing. Right. It's, it can be very silent. Absolutely true. Yep. 
That's, and uh, most diseases don't cry out to you. You could have late stage cancer and have no symptoms. If you're kind of normal. Yeah. You know, whatever fatigue it's causing, it's come on slowly enough that you, you know, you think it's normal. And so, you know, hypertension, lots of things you don't have symptoms for until it's late stage. And that's true with this basic poisoning problem. We're really getting awfully poisoned from eating these kinds of foods like the almond milk and the dark chocolate and, you know, all the snack bars full of nuts. And we, don't know. And then when you have symptoms, no one ever connects it. No doctor knows that that's why you're getting, right. you know, right. leaky. you're starting to pee on yourself and you're getting ready to order diapers, you know, like they don't know it's because your dog was doing it. You know, we, we work with a lot of, you know, functional medicine doctors and, and they don't know this. I mean, I, 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 am, I yeah. believe in them very strongly. They're, they help us with all kinds of issues. But this one never seems to come up. I have one other weird thing that I would have never connected, and except I read it in the book, and I, I'm not sure I completely understand it. So most of my health issues will come back when I travel. And, and I tend to travel in like concentrated blocks. Like I, I will head out on the coach and I'll be gone for sometimes three months. And it's usually very busy. I'm hitting all kinds of events and my schedule gets crazy and I get a little lazier on my food because I'm, you know, time and traveling away from home. And so the last one that happened, um, the joint pain came back. So, you know, I really started to look at that and I, I did all the things and it started to get better, but I couldn't eliminate it completely. And I got to the point where, you know, I started doing some pretty heavy duty testing to try to figure out what's going on this time. Um, I had, we had a, uh, a water leak inside the coach that we were traveling in and it got mm-hmm. into the ceiling and got into all the ceiling fibers up there and, and I had to tear out the ceiling and I did it myself mm-hmm. at the time and you know, mm. we've got all these wet fibers up there and it, I was working on it for days at a time, getting all this out. And I got thinking about that and I thought, you know, I wonder if this was some sort of mold toxicity. So I did a screening and I had an overabundance of aspergillus. Uh-oh. Where? Uh, I don't know. It was just a, or maybe I could go back and look at my paperwork. I didn't even know what I should have been looking at. It was just, that's what they highlighted on the screening was aspergillus. Which makes oxalic acid. <laughs> that's what I read in the book. And I thought you got to be kidding me. <laughs> that's one of the reasons why black mold is so toxic is because one of its mycotoxins is oxalate, oxalic had- acid. So you could be breathing oxalic acid from the mold from your environment. I had no idea. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned in the book that we don't even think about that when we, we let mold sit on grains and things. This is another reason why getting off the grains helps people because they tend to be get moldy and not all companies are really careful about that. And, um, it can increase the oxalate as well amongst other aflatoxins, but, people. It actually doesn't get any real respect from science. Like, oh, we're worrying about all the other aflatoxins and not the oxalate. No one mentions that. Pollution creates oxalate. So the exhaust from the vehicles and and from industry promotes oxalate becoming one of the acids in rain. In fact, it's considered the dominant acid in acid rain 
is oxalic acid because something's going on with mist and sun and pollutants that catalyze this easy, it's really easy to create a little oxalic acid molecule and aspergillus is good at it. Wow. Yeah. Just. (laughs) (laughs) And the sad thing is when your immune cells are being damaged from the almond milk, they can't handle the mold infection. And so people end up with chronic UTIs, chronic yeast infections, chronic sinus infections with a high oxalate diet. And then once we get off the oxalate, we no longer get those problems unless we're like dumping so badly. You can get a little UTI maybe during a dump of oxalate from the old oxalate. But it, the immune cells really don't really need to be happier. They need to not be poisoned and not have damaged mitochondria, not putting out pro-inflammatory cytokines. Like when you quit eating oxalates, it makes your immune system happier. So you're best prone to that stuff. Yeah, so um, we're we're we've got about fifteen minutes left. I really do need to kind of wrap up by the top of the hour today. So I, I want to kind of go back to kind of setting up our preview of of the next parts and just talk a couple big picture things. Um, I really want to talk about all the damage and and all of the bad stuff. So we're we're all aware of it and we know how critically important this is because I have a feeling. Um, that there are a lot of people listening that are saying, oh, well, I don't have any of those symptoms. And yet they probably right. have a huge problem with this. So I, I want to cover that. Um, I do want to cover a, a, a lot of your strategies on how we can lower this in our diet without just saying, look, we can't ever eat a plant again. Um, you have some great stuff in the book. I know I, I looked at some of it. I, I'd love to get some ideas from you on how we lower it. One of the um, diets we've been working on, I, I said carnivore works so well for us. Um, I still want plants in my diet. So I was trying to figure out, you know, what's the best way to, what plants should I be eating? What should I absolutely get out of my diet? What ways of preparing the, the plants could help? Um, we started working on a, on a diet uh, for a lot of other reasons that we're, if we get around to formalizing it, kind of writing it up, and I want to, we're referring to it as fermented carnivore. So the idea of eat as mm-hmm. many good high quality animal products as you want, and then forget about that part of your diet, you know, focus on the quality, focus on nose to tail, and then eat as much as you want of it and, and forget about that part. Then I started looking at, well, could we add a lot of fermented foods? One of my thoughts being, and, and I'd love to hear your, your take on this, that if we even were to look at a hunter-gatherer society that was really high in animal products, and I believe most of them were, I have this thought that wasn't a lot of the food they were eating in some stage of fermentation anyway? They had no, they weren't sanitizing things. They didn't have refrigeration. Wasn't there just a a lot of bacteria around? Yeah, of course. You had to do, that's why like injera in Ethiopia is a sourdough kind of teff pancake that they make. And they, they deliberately take three to five days with a pretty elaborate process to make this very sour version and make it more tolerable. Um, I wish somebody would test to see if, if that helps at all with the oxalates because TEF is very high in oxalates. Yeah, right. I love that kind of stuff. 
Um, so you have to pick and choose wisely. The classic fermented vegetables in modern times are sort of sauerkraut and things like that. And they're made with low oxalate foods. All the cabbage family is low in oxalate, which includes many, you know, maybe as much as 30% of the vegetables in the grocery store are from the cabbage family. You just don't realize it. But a lot of those have lost popularity except for kale, which somehow kale rented a whole street in Madison Avenue, like a whole block of right. kale devoted. And so uh, <laughs> everybody knows about kale. But the other cabbage family is kind of like dumpy and old fashioned, like rutabagas and turnips and so turnip greens it, and so here's here's something interesting. <laughs> I had a huge bumper crop of several different kinds of cabbage this year. Pretty traditional green cabbage, some Chinese cabbage, some Napa cabbage. So I was fermenting and making kimchi and uh, all kinds of things with that. Mm. One of the plants that I grow over the winter, I plant it late in fall and just forget about it. And, and where I am, I can overwinter it and go out and pull it out of the ground. Turnips. Um, I can just leave them in the ground and pick them all winter and use them. So um, that's really interesting that, uh, and, you know, there are other people out there saying, oh, no, hold on. The brassicas have all kinds of, you know, health issues and, you know, how we go back and forth on so much of this stuff. Um, it's just incredible how much this book is answering for me. Mm. That's, I'm yeah, that's the thing. I mean, these were all the missing answers for me and all of us who are actually paying attention to health and doing the right things. If we don't have this, we're missing like the centerpiece. <laughs> like the bullseye is missing out of these rings of information that we're trying to work with to get healthy. Exactly. Yeah. And Sally, quick question. Is it true that that preparation doesn't necessarily um, affect the, ox the oxalate level? Yeah, not very much. I mean, some foods like broccoli, if you boil your broccoli and throw out the water, then you lower significantly. And broccoli is not super high anyway, but it's, if you're eating a, a pretty generous portion, it's, it is a significant amount of oxalate. But if you're boiling it, then you take it way down by you know, almost two thirds. It, it depends on the situation and the broccoli and every, every pot of water and every broccoli Wait. head is slightly unique. So you, can't, you don't get strict exact numbers. <laughs> We thought we were yeah, doing but other things like you boil your asparagus and it doesn't seem to change it very much based on very limited testing. Now we need millions of dollars to retest and retest and understand the factors involved. You know, how much, what are all the factors affecting the initial content of oxalate in a food and what are the factors in preparation? But in fermentation, when you ferment a really high oxalate food, you will reduce oxalate by 10 to maybe even 20%. But that's not enough when you're so toxic. When it's such a high oxalate food, like poi in Hawaii, that's a tra traditional, you know, taro root. It's very high in oxalate. Yeah. They turn it into this mush called poi and ferment it for a day. But that doesn't begin to be enough to be meaningful. So, yeah, wow. you, you, can, you can reduce oxalate with fermentation, but you need to start with a low oxalate food or moderately low. And high oxalate it doesn't make enough of a difference to be meaningful to your health. Just one more tool in the big picture of every step we can do to, to lower that level and, and understand the total load we're putting on our body. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy how many examples we have of this, but, uh, you know, we were all running around steaming vegetables so that we didn't lose all the nutrients in the water, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> I know. It turns out uh, grandma was right. Yeah. You know, in the South, you boil your boil them. for two hours. Yeah. It turns out, <laughs> you know, and this is the thing with the brassicas. They really aren't healthy raw. You really shouldn't be eating them raw and undercooked and shouldn't be piling them on your plate. That's why, you know, in Germany, you ferment them. And in Asia, you ferment them into sauerkraut and kimchi and eat them in delicate little amounts. I mean, it's really not the main dish. But we're so plant-focused now, people think we can just load up more and more plants and somehow that's okay, completely ignoring the inherent toxicity of plants. And that's Mm. the mistake mainstream faculty are making in major institutions and respected Ivy League schools are making the same mistake. So how could you blame yourself, Lauren, for not knowing? Mm -hmm. Right, right. So. One more thing about my garden, and then I want to, a couple things I want to wrap up with today. I wish I didn't have to go. I, I would love to just keep going today. Um, <laughs> one of the things I'd love to grow in my garden are lots of different varieties of hot peppers. I love hot peppers. And then primarily what I use them for is uh, fermented uh, hot sauces. And I will ferment some of these peppers for mm. probably a year. Six months is almost minimum when I ferment peppers for sauce. What I read in the book, I found really interesting. Oh, cool. I, it is uh, November 2nd. I'm not even going to harvest most of my peppers till I get home. They're still on the plant. I'm leaving them till they almost go soft. There are no green peppers left. And if they are, uh, I don't even know what I'll do with them. I'm letting all of the peppers fully ripen and almost over ripen. And it sounded like in the book that actually lowers the levels. Absolutely, it does. And and hot peppers, you know, you're not eating it in ounce portions or, you know, you're not eating a whole slab of ribeye size it, right. pepper right. sauce, right? But yes, and, and so you're so clever because I always wondered what Frank's hot sauce meant by aged peppers. Like aged peppers. Well, they probably mean fully ripened on the vine and then fermented. That's nobody knows what fermented means. So they use, so you could make me a better version of Frank's hot sauce. I'm ready for that, baby. Give me some. Oh, I've got, I've, <laughs> I've still have, I still have fermented hot sauce I made from last year's peppers. I mean, this is one of my, you know, the favorite yeah. things I love to do from the garden. Interesting. I'm at a, oh, uh, I'm so excited. Because so I think that's I, a more the right way to eat it than straight up raw or however we think we should be eating it. I yeah, think that's I, exactly right. I, I love the fermented hot sauces. And one of my kind of go-to lunches mm-hmm. is a, a can of real high-quality tuna, a can of cod mm-hmm. livers in cod liver oil. And I just throw those, those into Those are the, delicious, by the I, way. And when you put them in tuna, they just disappear. You know, I, I, I kind of freak people out because I, I try to be really transparent and I say, look, here's the best way I can describe cod livers. The flavor is just like a very mild tuna, but if I had to mm-hmm. describe the experience, and this just freaks people out, I say, it's kind of like eating tuna pudding. And people just lose it. Ah, but But throw it into the <laughs> tuna itself and it disappears and... Boy, talk about a superfood. Like everybody wants to call all these plants yep. superfood. Cod livers. That's mm-hmm. a superfood. And then I just mix in my one of my fermented hot sauces. And then the flavors are off the charts. And I, I just love that as a delicious. And it's something our drivers can do in the truck. None of that food needs refrigeration. Yep. 
My my fermented hot sauces can sit in the pantry for a year. Don't forget the sardines. Oh, we sardines yep. and little tiny mackerel. We have all that stuff in our store. We love mm-hmm. those. Um, so you want the bones and the skin yes. and the sardines, yep. and they go well with tuna. So you can that's together right. the tuna. The safe catch is the one that's been tested for mercury. I highly believe in that <laughs> and live on a lot of this stuff myself. And uh, today, I, I just fixed myself raw scallops <laughs> with a sauce I made with an egg yolk, and they were, they were great. Uh, we <laughs> we were working with uh, Vital Choice for our seafood. Uh, another contact oh, I actually made mm-hmm. at that conference uh, when I met you. Um, we love, they got bought. You know who they got bought by? Yeah. Ooh. This is crazy. 1-800-Flowers. A shipping company. How, how bizarre. Um, wow. So we we were okay with that, but they dropped us as a wholesaler. They wouldn't work with us anymore, uh, which turned out to be one of those good things. We're working with a, a company called Patagonia now, and we, we just love a ton of their products. I want to go back to one more point real quick. What was it, though? Um. I have so many notes here. You were talking about carnivore, fermented carnivore diet plan. And if you don't, if you're not aware of Bill Schindler's work and his, he's a fermentation God, he and I will be together this weekend doing a conference for people interested in keto and butchering. Excellent. Is that going to be recorded? Yeah. No, I don't think so. So anybody out there who's in, in Eastern Shore, kind of near Philly and well, Baltimore area. We're out on the Eastern Shore in Maryland on Saturday. Well, we'll count on you then to catch us up on what you learned there when you come back. Here was I, I was just going to tell a story because we were talking about fermented hot peppers. I'm at a trucking conference. Um, one of the other speakers that we've just spent a ton of time with, there's five speakers and we've been at dinners and we're all heading to Nashville now. So we're driving together and we'll be at dinner again tonight. We'll be speaking again tomorrow. Uh, He was the uh, chairman of the ATA, the American Trucking Association, but he owns a trucking company in New Orleans. McElhaney is one of his biggest accounts. McElhaney makes Tabasco, specifically Tabasco sauce. And that's one of the few sauces that actually uses the Tabasco pepper. But their, their history is incredible. They've been making this stuff on Avery Island for like 200 years and it is a long mm. fermentation process, I think like three years. So they actually take mm. the used barrels from Jack Daniels Distillery. They pack it full of these, mm. these Tabasco peppers, salt it heavily, put a lid on it, and they stick it away for three years. And that, that's the mash that, that makes their sauce. So he was telling me about his visit to Avery Island and the last survivor of the McElhaney family took McElhaney. Um, that's the guy he works with. And, and it's still so traditional the way they produce this out on that Island. I just thought it was incredible. Mm, how fun, how fun and interesting to think about the old world of fermenting various mashes into bourbon and various mashes I, into sauces yeah, and winemaking and all the fermentation that was essential when you don't have refrigeration. Yeah, and, and we gave it all up. 
uh, and we see the results. That's One, why salt was so prized. Yeah, yeah. Societies good were point. built on salt. Good point. <laughs> One more quick now we're so question. Of it, but it was what was keeping us alive. <laughs> right. One more yes, quick sir. question. As part of fermented carnivore, and I'm not sure I, I this is another area I want to do a, a lot more work on. The idea of we need something to then feed all this bacteria we're creating. And also, not just for that issue, but just as a, as a dietary issue, if you had to recommend a flour of some sort to use in cooking um, and baking and whatever, what would it be and, you know, what kind of amounts should we, we try to stay to? Well, for low-oxalate, gluten-free fibers or, you know, just uh, flours, I am using a combination of good quality potato starch, which has no oxalate in it, even though potatoes are high in oxalate, starch wow. is an extract that has no oxalate in it. Interesting. And there's a, a company in Japan, J Basket brand, that makes a very fine one. I think it's optimized for tempura and has such a fine texture, Ooh. it's really lovely uh, to use. And I use good quality coconut flour and a ground up water chestnut of types. It's actually not a water chestnut. Um, it's a caltrip plant. It's called Sagoda flour. And you get that from Indian outlets, good. Indian groceries and so on. And, and I don't know how pure Sagoda is. I don't know how you, as, may, as a food sourcer, you may be able to find a manufacturer in India that makes it in a gluten-free factory or something. Because if you're celiac, you may not be able to use Sagoda can you spell that you for me? No, if it was gluten-free. S-I-N-G-O-D-A. Okay. Uh, it's only been tested once for oxalate, but it seems to be pretty darn low in oxalate. Chestnut flour would be nice to use if you could get it. Okay. Uh, we used to have a, an outfit in North Carolina that ground chestnuts. Chestnuts used to be a grand American tree, but it, we had this blight. They're trying to bring it back in agriculture, and I don't know what the issue is there. So a lot of the chestnuts we get come from China, but they're organic groves. And you can, this is another thing you can keep around is because they sell chestnuts, organic chestnuts in little pouches of three and a half or six ounce pouches. And they keep until you open them. And so that's a little carb hit. If you need a little, if you're taking a break and hiking or just need a carb hit, the chestnut could work and it has some oxalate in it. So it could be a little bit of oxalates and a little bit of carbs and it's super convenient and not a nut that's high oxalate. It's a little bit moderately low. Great. Tip. So if we could, uh, you know, have more chestnut flour, that'd be an option too. There you go. Um, and I keep saying one more question, but uh, how do you feel about white rice? White rice is good. I, I like to soak it for a day in a little bit of um, bentonite clay. So that's not as easy to do in a truck, but you can cook this all ahead of time and take it frozen and you can turn it into little like sports bricks and things. There's things you can do with well-cooked white rice. So I soak mine in water on the counter for a day with a tablespoon or two of bentonite clay that potentially, in theory, helps to reduce the arsenic level in rice. And you pour that off, and then I like to bake it in a little casserole dish with a can of coconut milk and water and maybe some crystallized ginger and salt. I have a little recipe for that. We can share that if we need to. And then I bake it, and then it's it slices up and you can just use it or you can mix other things into it or roll it out and bake it flatter or whatever and, and turn it into these little like, you know, energy bars or something too for, for portability. Wow. You know? Okay. You can even frozen, wow. wrap them in foil or plastic and 
you know, pack a few frozen ones and they, they should keep in a cooler, especially if you have, you know, one of those lifetime coolers or something. Yeah. Several days, probably. Very, very cool. So uh, here's the most important thing I learned in the last hour that we need several more episodes of this mini series. Yes, we do. It's so fun to hang out yeah. with you guys. <laughs> all our trucker <laughs> friends, I love you guys. It's a tough life to be out there on the road all the time. And you really do need to be paying attention to your health. I mean, you're, a lot of people are in trucking because it's decent money. But right. don't eat like a pauper. Like, really take yourself to king level and really care about we, how you take care of your health with food. So, uh, uh, I'll tell you how serious our tribe is, has become with this. We've done... Their biggest issue is very little or no refrigeration in the truck at all. So they're stuck out there in food deserts where no matter how hard they try, um, it's just not practical on the road. So two of the strategies we really helped them with. And, you know, when I first started talking about this, people looked at me and said, are you insane? Truck drivers are never going to do this. And I said, no, I think they will. At least our tribe, you know, not not the, the masses, but the people who have been listening to me for years will do this. We have uh, taught them to pressure can meat and whole meals. So once they're pressure canned, they can take them in the truck with, with zero refrigeration. They're shelf stable for years at that point and fermenting everything else so that you know, if you have some refrigeration, you can throw it in there. It'll slow it down for a while. But if you want to take it on the truck with you for a month, it, it's just fine. It does great like that. So we have truck drivers pressure canning and fermenting. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, and, and most Shonies or whatever will give you four eggs and some bacon. That's after it, real meat and real eggs. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you and, know, they yeah, may we, not have the best butter. And we do talk about that, and, and that's absolutely a first step. The other thing I, I, that just reminded me of your book, I love the phases idea, so I want to talk a lot more about that. And that's kind of our approach to food overall. You know, you're not going to go from the standard American diet to the diet I eat right now. It took me eight years to get here, and, and I've tweaked and changed, and I'm about to do a major overhaul again because of this book. And it's not going to be... A bad overhaul at all. I'm actually excited about it. But we do say, look, when you first start, like you said, Shoney's stick to the animal products. We really want them to move beyond that to the better quality. So we're, we're helping them find those sources of better quality meat. Uh, one of our regular guests is Joel Salatin from Polyface Farms. And uh, oh, yeah, Joel's a buddy of mine. Yeah. What a, what a fantastic guy. And um Azure Standard is right there in the in the gorge with us in Oregon, and they're a nationwide distributor of really high-quality foods. So we're really helping people find those high-quality foods, and then how do you preserve them and make them a part of your diet in the truck and the pressure canning? We have total control. You get your meat wherever you want. When you get it, spend a day at home pressure can. In one day, you can pressure can enough food for a month in the truck easy. Fantastic. Kings and Cabs by Kevin. There you go. There you go. Lauren, anything? Uh, <laughs> we, we have a uh, couple minutes here. Um, anything you want to get to before we, we wrap this I'm, one up? I'm. If I ask any more questions, they're going to they're gonna be fully loaded. <laughs> I don't think I should. But Sally, it has been so wonderful and eye-opening. I am so looking forward to our next conversation about this. 
and keep up the good work because honestly, I've done some research and you are the number one person when it comes to oculus. There's, I don't know anyone who has done the research you have. So we really owe it to you to thank you for all the research that you've done. Well, you guys, you know, to have this message land in open minds and open hearts, that's where it's going to take, uh, that's fertile ground for something really important happening for all of us across the world. This is a worldwide problem. And the fact that you're willing to keep rethinking things, you're, you're not done thinking, is so refreshing. Your audience is so lucky to have you so that they can grow with you and you can keep moving forward. It's just beautiful. I appreciate it so much. So thank, thank you, you again. So um, my, We have an awesome team here. I would never be able to do any of this without them. They're going to reach out to you with um, some booking links so we can get this whole mini series thing kind of figured out. And um, I'd love to work with you some in the background so we get a good flow to it. And um, we'll be able to highlight this when it's all done and say, here's the Oxalet story from start to finish. And, and, our tribe gets to listen to it while they go down the road so much. Um, so we have to kind of think about that. This is all audio. How much really good information can we get out there? And then this is one of those books that will not be one of those books that you should blow through and say, oh, I got 15 great ideas out of it. This will become my Bible on this topic. I mean, this book I can see me going back to over and over and over. So um, I, I want to really put some effort into this mini series and, you know, in your mind, be thinking about what is the best way to get this across in, in audio? We'll do that. We'll work together on that. And I could probably provide you with a PDF of some images that they can, so they can see what the dumping could look like on people's skin or see what the crystals look like. We can provide those things specifically that fits the series as a little PDF they can look at on a meal break on I, the side. I know that I have asked a lot well, of you already. Snacks if you want. Yeah, I know I've asked a lot of you already. I'm going to ask one more thing. Um, we, we moved our groups off of Facebook a couple years ago because we got tired of being censored and deleted and banned. And so we created our own social network sites. We have one specifically dedicated to trucking issues, and we created another one dedicated to health in trucking because not all of our drivers are interested in this. I wish they were, but they're not. We, but our, what we call our healthy tribe is really loyal and engaged and that site is probably three times more active than our specific trucking site which tells us we do have a lot of people who are really interested in this so it's a uh, a member site and you know when you talked about you have some images and some pdfs i would actually love if um you would become you know a member or maybe even we talk about making you a uh, an admin of some kind, so you, you have some other privileges there. And I know it's you probably do a lot of this, so if, if you can't, that would be fine. Um, but I'll, I'll have my team kind of talk it over, and you can think about that. But it's uh, it's really a good way for us because we we are really fully audio is the way we communicate with our tribe. That gives us a place to really organize that kind of stuff so that they have access to all of those resources. Things like the, the flowers we're talking about, the specific products, um, the PDFs or images you might have. So 
uh, that's another big tool for us. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, this is a great resource for a very important uh, group of people. And uh, it just, it's, public health has been looking for ways to reach truckers and you're just doing it, just making it happen. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, and and we couldn't do it without people like you. And and this one now that I've read this book is just so critically important. I want to make sure we do this right. Fantastic. Thank you for the support. We the more we get things going now, as the book is about to be launched, we want to do pre orders, then we get a nice little bestseller day when the when they oh. finally let the book go. Sheesh, I almost forgot. Put it in your hand. So we definitely want that. I almost forgot. Take yeah. take whatever time you need right now. You don't have to rush it. We're okay. Um tell us everything you want to know us about about the book right now. Like ordering and, and all that Toxic stuff. Superfoods. Yeah. The title is Toxic Superfoods, but if you look up Sally Norton or Sally K. Norton on any book site, you probably find this book, Toxic Superfoods, available for pre-order. You can get it as a, as a paper book, which is very helpful because that's a place where you can underline and interact with it and, and look stuff up easily. You can also get it as an ebook or an audio book, so you can have my voice with Excellent. you in the truck if you want it. <laughs> Uh, and so, in fact, we're, I'm just finishing the audiobook today. I'm going back to the studio to, to see if whatever needed to be fixed. Sometimes my stomach grumbled. <laughs> we record a few spots, probably. And then it'll be ready to go. But they're holding it for the right after Christmas, which means you'll get it in your mailbox that day, or maybe even a day early, we'll see. Um, and you'll have it. And so, January, we're off to the health races with toxic superfoods available through Penguin Random House, under the imprint, Rodale Press, which makes it available everywhere. Awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to it. I feel privileged to uh, have been able to preview the book. Thank you so much for that. And um, you're right, that gives us uh, time to really, really do this right and build some resources that when they get that book, they will be off to the races. Well, one more thing. There's a site on, on my website, sallyknorton.com. If you go to sallyknorton.com and you look for the tab that says book, in there, you, there'll be a link coming up in about two weeks where you can download a, uh, a little thank you. It's 12 recipe booklet, a PDF 12 recipe booklet. Thank you for pre-ordering the book. And um, on that page, we can put uh, Kevin's endorsement if we like. Uh, we'd love to. Put a little quote from Kevin. <laughs> Love to. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, so you'll you'll know you're home when you see Kevin's little quote there on the site. We'll work on that. And we have a special place on our website for recipes, so we can talk about that as well, what recipes you want to just share out there freely like that. So so much to do, so much to talk about, but uh as much as I hate to do it, I kinda gotta let you go and I, yeah. I, I know you're busy, um, but I'm excited. Thank you so much to um, not only joining us today, but committing uh, to to everything you've committed to in the future. I just think this is going to become a very big part of what we do. That's fantastic. I'm so happy that we connected and that we're building this relationship on behalf of the work and on behalf of just becoming friends. It's a beautiful thing. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Sally, we will talk to you again soon. Can't wait. Take care. Be well. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Lauren, anything you want to uh, wrap up with? 
Um, no, I think my mind is just completely blown right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to finish the rest of the book and start compiling more questions. It just seems that every question is, you know, it just leads to some more information and then I have more questions. So I'm going to try to keep it kind of organized so that we can make this as beneficial as we can for, for all the listeners. I, I never thought what seems like this really narrow topic, and I said this at the beginning, I'll say it again, has such wide-ranging implications and how many of these crazy mysteries we've been talking about for years just got solved. I know, I know. And it's hard to believe how many, you know, how it can manifest in so many ways that I just never even thought of. Never. I know. So it's exciting. It is. All right. We're going to wrap this up. I'm going to be on the road to Nashville uh, and then I'll be heading home early Friday morning. So uh, next week we'll be all back to normal on the schedule. As far as I can tell, we will see you then be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Watch those oxalates and master the journey.